Hi everyone, this is Chick Herbert and welcome to Chiropractical. Why are there so many disc herniation lawsuits? If you're ever going to be sued as a doctor of chiropractic, it is likely to be around this issue. Today we'll explore what you can do from a patient communication, documentation, informed consent perspective, and how do you mitigate risk for your practice. This continues on from last month where we talked about the violation of doctor-patient boundaries and another area that people get themselves into trouble. Hi all, this is Melissa Knudsen and we are joined today by Dr. James Demetrius. Dr. Demetrius has been a long-standing member of the NCMIC Speakers Bureau. He is also a clinician, author, educator, and a board-certified chiropractic orthopedist based in Wilmington, North Carolina. We have Mike Whitmer with us as well. Mike is the Vice President of Chiropractic Insurance Programs at NCMIC. So welcome, Mike and Dr. Demetrius. So on today's episode, we will talk about a case study and use that as the basis for our conversation around disc herniations. And so, Mike, if you could walk us through the setup of what that case involved. Sure. The patient in this case was a 47-year-old woman. She worked at a printing company. She had a lifetime history of back pain due to a gymnastics accident when she was a kid. She hurt her back when she was lifting a box of paper at work and reported to the clinic where she had been seen by a doctor for several years. Upon arrival at the clinic, she realized the doctor she had seen previously had retired and a new doctor had come in and purchased the clinic, and that's the doctor that she saw that day. The new doctor relied on the retired doctor's records, plan of care, did not do a new examination, did not take a new history. Furthermore, the patient brought with her an MRI that was about a year old, and the new doctor didn't review that MRI. So he adjusted her using a side posture adjustment, and the patient immediately experienced an increased level of pain. The doctor tried to alleviate the pain with ice for about 45 minutes, no benefit to the patient. The doctor had the patient referred to the local hospital for follow-up. Upon arrival at the hospital, the patient immediately underwent an MRI that showed a disc herniation, and the patient actually underwent surgery about two days later. The surgery was successful. The patient embarked on a six-week course of physical therapy and was released from care. About nine months following, the patient filed suit against our doctor, alleging that he failed to meet the standard of care for treatment of this patient in this condition. This case was difficult to defend because of the issues with the examination, lack of new history, reliance on the retired doctor's records, and didn't even read the MRI that the patient brought with her. We actually ended up settling the case to protect the doctor from the wrath of a jury if we took it to trial. So Dr. Demetrius, there's a lot here. Maybe we start at the beginning. Can you talk about why the history and examination is so vital to the patient care and as it relates to this herniation lawsuit? It's incumbent upon us to assess patients directly. And while uh, another doctor may have notes and information that are vital and important, including the MRI evaluation that was available. It's incredibly important to perform a proper history, 
review the documents that are available, review the images. I prefer to look at any available images prior to seeing the patient. That helps me direct my care. And then evaluate the patient with a proper examination. And without those steps, without looking at the patient directly, you know, there may have been a change since the patient had seen that other doctor. There may have been change since that MRI was performed. And it's really just very important to make a new assessment to, to evaluate the patient, one, and two, to provide some comfort to the patient that you're caring and you're listening and you're part of her care now. You know, I always say when I'm talking to students and doctors of chiropractic that good risk management is good risk management, but guess what? It's good patient care first. And a really good risk management step is to get as much information as you possibly can about that patient before you embark on their care. Part of doing that when that patient walks in the door is doing the examination, doing the history, get to know that patient a little bit. And of course, in this case, it kind of astounds me that the patient came in with imaging and the doctor didn't look at it. Well, that's a really good piece of information to look at and establish a baseline. And Dr. Demetrius, I assume that trust is a really important component of a doctor-patient relationship. And from a patient experience perspective, I would think this would degrade that level of trust just because the doctor didn't take time to do a current assessment. I would agree. And it's, it's heartening to patients when I take the moment and time to take a look at that disc, take a look at that report, assess them directly, and help them understand that I'm really interested in finding out what's happening. The, the difficulty with not listening and paying attention to the intervening time between the time she saw the patient, the doctor last, and when she presented to the new doctor is there may be alterations in her clinical symptoms. There may be something that popped up that was not present when she saw the other doctor. She may have developed some weakness or bladder or bowel incontinence that wasn't present that might be. So not only for a new patient, but on recurring visits, it's important to modify and evaluate and assess the patient on an ongoing basis. Dr. Demetrius, can you tell us a little bit more about how patient communication, patient education might play into this as well? It's vital. In order to secure trust and understand what's occurring with the patient, we need to have that really frank discussion. And chiropractic practices are busy. And if we don't have the time and take the effort to evaluate and review that image, which takes a little bit of time. You know, in MRIs, there's a lot of images on there. If you're going to read the study yourself, it takes a few moments to read a report, and it takes a little bit of time, and it's difficult sometimes if you have a really busy practice. We need to do better. We need to improve our ability to listen and build that trust. And when patients see me looking at their images, and I'm talking to them about the report and any additional findings that I see, it builds confidence. This case illustrates patient education can really have a positive impact on the relationship between the doctor and the patient, the trust level between the doctor and the patient, and the perception of the care they're receiving and why they're receiving it, particularly with disc herniations. I think that a lot of patients don't understand what's happening, don't understand what could be the case. And I think that some preemptive communication and education on the part of the doctor can stem some misunderstandings, particularly about causation between the doctor and the patient down the road. I'm a good case. You know, when I went to my chiropractor with some back pain, he said, you're of a certain age 
And you may have a disc herniation and you got the little model out and showed how disc herniations work and just did some really good basic education for me so that I understood what my plan of care was and how it hoped to help my condition. Dr. Demetrius, could you talk a little bit more about how common disc herniation is among the general population and how that might affect this case? There's really good literature that's available. There was an article by Jensen in 1994 that looked at 100 asymptomatic patients, never had pain before, and 52% of them had bulging and herniated discs. There's a beautiful Mayo Clinic systematic review that was performed in 2015, and it looked at the prevalence of disc herniation in our populations. From 20 to 80 years of age, the, the prevalence of bulging discs in the asymptomatic, never had pain category was anywhere from 30 to 84%. Lumbar protrusions, 30 to 43%. These are disc herniations and protrusions and bulges that are common in the non-pain group. Nakashima in the cervical spine found in the asymptomatic population in the journal spine, 88% of patients will have bulging discs in the neck. And in Cassidy, in their papers, remarkable papers, found no excess risk due to chiropractic care with lumbar disc herniation. I like to talk about these papers, and I talk about this information directly with my patients. If they have symptoms and signs, I want to advise them that, you know, the likelihood is you do have these problems, and oftentimes they've been aggravated, irritated because of activities of daily living, because of their lifestyle, because of their workouts, because of whatever. And that oftentimes these normal findings, these disc herniations are present and just become irritated. And we can evaluate that as well, looking at the MRI. We can see the new edema, new inflammation, new irritation that leads us to believe that this is the new cause of pain. And when actuality, these causes were already there, you flared it up, it's on you. I think that's a great example of, yes, it's good risk management, but it's also good patient care because an educated patient is going to be more compliant. They're going to be more successful then the patient that doesn't understand the why, doesn't understand the risks, and doesn't understand their responsibility in their own care. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that 30 to 80% in that study already had this issue. So there's a good chance that as patients come into your office, that's something that's already present within that patient. Dr. Demetrius, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about imaging and related to this issue specifically, but what types of imaging, what's the timing, what would you recommend here? First, in the assessment of our patients, we have to make a determination whether it's appropriate to perform imaging. Typical lower back pain, the appropriateness criteria that's utilized in chiropractic, that's being taught at the CCU accredited schools, and as part of the American College of Radiology's criteria, in order to determine whether we need imaging at a given point, we have to be aware that of the historical and evaluation finding. That's why examination and history is so important. In order to attain an MRI in my area, I have to follow the ACR criteria, which is patient has been in pain for a period of time, under care for a period of time, is demonstrating weakness, bladder, bowel, or saddle issues, or, or, or altered gait, and changes that are valuable through examination and history. It's vitally important that we assess those studies that have been performed because sometimes our medical radiologists, while doing a great job, they won't include information from their own literature about periarticular edema, modic changes, annular tears. And those are causes of pain that need to be discussed with the patient directly to show how they're going to possibly progress under chiropractic care if they're a good quality candidate for chiropractic care. 
it's really quite important. I talk about the fact that I hope that more of our chiropractic candidates and doctors will read these images directly. I'm glad that they attend my coursework because I'm teaching them how to utilize, how to evaluate, how to order properly. And there's a beautiful article, a Mayo Clinic article by Katsenis and uh, Zerbianki talking about how we see the inflammation that occurs. We can see periarticular edema and inflammation that's not typical unless you do certain sequences. So it's vital upon the chiropractor to ask as the specialist that a general practitioner medical doctor may not be aware. They may order the MRI, but they may not order the fat suppressed imaging that's necessary. And that's why that good quality CEs are important. It's vital. We have to evaluate just from the patient communication perspective. If that doctor had spent just a few minutes and talked to the patient, I see a disc herniation. There is no inflammation. There is inflammation. This is the means with which we have to address your condition. I think it may have been a better outcome. Dr. Demetrius, we've talked about when you should order an MRI and what criteria need to be met. Can you talk about any care protocols in dealing with disc herniations or this situation? Through our history, through our exam, which underscores, again, the importance of those things, we can gain a great deal of information. If a patient has a cervical disc herniation, we have to define what postures can provoke that and help them with regard to one, care, and two, their activities of daily living. If a patient has a lumbar spine disc herniation, we understand that certain groups have more or less narrowing or spinal stenosis in different areas. So the younger population tend to do a little bit better with extension McKenzie protocol where the older population with periarticular facet arthropathy, they may have more difficulty with extension. And we see that, and we can hear that from them when we talk to them directly. It's really important to to ask, are you comfortable while you're sitting? Well, they're flexed in that position, and we can get great information that there may be encumbrance in the spine in that posture. We may find that the patient has difficulty painting the ceiling or trimming hedges above his head because he's extending or she's extending her, her neck. And that could tell us that there is likely a compression of a spinal nerve or irritation of the disc or the posterior joint. That would tell us, you know, maybe it's not a really good idea to adjust the patient in extension. And that can help us define how we can adjust the patient. I had a herniated disc in my neck many years ago and flexion gave me relief. One of my colleagues came to my office to adjust me and he didn't listen to me really well. And he extended my neck in a painful place and adjusted me in that posture. And that was terrible. I had a very large herniation, but to be adjusted in a little bit of flexion where it took the pressure off the disc and the nerve gave me a great deal of relief. If I was a patient, I would have been really upset with him by extending my neck in a way that provoked it. That's why it's so essential to know what's occurring from the history, what's occurring from the examination, what's occurring in their activities of daily living. And to this specific patient we're discussing, I think it's vital to listen to and pay attention to what that previous doctor did. And if you, you don't take the time to do that, you can miss great, great cues. It's really important to say, how did you do and what did the doctor do that you liked and what didn't you like with what he did? If the patient has, boy, I really like side posture adjustment, but I hated that flexion distraction. It's not rocket science. You know what? That may be taking pressure off and he did a good job. And if somebody saw the patient prior to seeing me and they said, you know, I felt terrible when he saw it. Well, what did he do? He put me on that drop table and it killed me. You know, I'm never going to put that patient on that drop table. But this all requires a little bit of time and daily discussion. Mike had commented about the importance of education and talking to patients about degeneration. At what level do you document that? On every level, every time. I have a picture in my office 
And it's a picture of uh, a tractor I took in upstate New York. And it's an old rusty tractor. It's from the 1930s and 40s. And it's just sitting in the field. It looks like an art piece. My wife said, why are you putting a rusty old tractor on the wall? And I said, well, that's what everybody comes to me with, different levels of degeneration, wear and tear. Now, patients are frightened oftentimes by their doctors. And I try to alleviate that and say, you have degenerative disease. That means you have rust. You have arthritic change. You have wear and tear. And these changes are common. For a 50-year-old individual, you have an 80% chance of degenerative change in your spine. And that's just not disc herniations that is often blamed. It's the spurs, it's the arthritic change, it's the narrow disc, it's the annular tears, it's the posterior joint arthrosis. This is stuff that varies from patient to patient and has to be addressed. It's constant that I'm talking about degeneration, but more importantly, that's the norm. It's the inflammatory provocative effects of going to the gym and overtraining, doing too much work in the yard and having those discussions to help them help themselves. I'm never going to pass up an opportunity to say this. Documentation is absolutely key in the event of a malpractice claim. I've heard our defense attorneys say that we need to be able to look at your record, tell what you did, why you did it, when you did it, who did it, really tell the story of that patient's treatment. Documentation also is another great example of, yes, it's good risk management, but it's also good for the patient. If you don't see the patient for a while and need to refresh yourself on what's happened, your documentations do that. If you need to refer the patient for other care, documentation will help that patient get established with the provider that you're referring to. More is better with Mm -hmm. documentation. I never miss an opportunity to say it. I totally agree. And that starts from the very beginning. It's about what brought them to me, their level of discomfort, quantifying that on an analog or numeric pain scale, going through the nuance of how is this symptom manifesting through activities. And this all has to be documented carefully. I personally dictate my notes and I try to make them as capacious and as much as time will provide. It's vitally important that we talk about their progression, visit to visit, I have a form in my office that I use it while patients are seeking my care actively. The little pain man, it's a statement that says, I feel better, same or worse since last week. My activities are better, same or worse since last week and a zero to 10 pain scale. And in that simple document, I I just copy those questions onto an eight and a half by 11 and it's cut it in half. I put it on pink paper. It's called my pink form. And I use that regularly and it's in their hand. They are progressing. So it's just not my word and my documentation and my notes that's supporting my care, but they are progressively improving or they're not. I also want to pose the question to Dr. Demetrius, at what point as you're working with a patient, should you refer them out? First and foremost, I I want to make sure that there are no contraindications to my care. Red or yellow flag issues, absolute or relative contraindications. So that requires, again, proper examination, proper history, and evaluative procedure For these cases that have mechanical disc degenerative changes, ridiculous symptomatology, we have to monitor them. The most important aspects for me are those ideas and those that have been evaluated and reported by the different criteria. Is the pain progressing? Are you having any trouble with urinary or bowel incontinence? Well, what does that mean? I think, well, are you having accidents? Are you peeing or pooping in your pants? Well, yeah, I am. Or are you having retention that your urgency that if you don't go, you may have a problem? The literature is really clear about this, that people often have some level of urinary bowel incontinence 
but they don't report it because it's embarrassing. They don't want to talk about it. You have to have a frank conversation. You have to have trust. In order to decide whether I'm going to send a patient for imaging that hasn't been performed, or if it has been done, it has to be done again, that requires, again, further training. We need to understand the protocols, the American College of Radiology's ACR appropriateness criteria. And that means, is there bladder or bowel weakness, dyspareunia, gait abnormalities, any abnormalities that are progressively worsening? If we suspect any of those things, I'm writing the prescription for the MRI, and I'm going to also write a prescription to see, I give a list of the local neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons I know in my area for them to make an appointment for a consultation, not for surgery. And I make that clear that I'd like them to see somebody just to make sure that I'm on the, on the ball. And that's difficult sometimes for chiropractors because they're afraid they're going to lose a patient. If anything, and it actually lends itself to more referrals back to you because patients love the fact that you're listening to them and you want them to get the best care possible. Well, I think we unpacked a lot of information today. Thank you for joining us. I learned today that I'm a rusty old tractor in a field. I appreciate that analogy. You're welcome. Well, thank you again, Dr. Demetrius. It was a pleasure to have you on and thank you for the wealth of information that you provided. Lots of really good nuggets. I have to call out one that you just mentioned, which is having the patient state their response in terms of how their progression of pain or progression is improving. And what a simple thing, but what a powerful way to have it be in the patient's words, not yours. So thank you for sharing that. Melissa and Mike, great episode. Let's take a minute to summarize before we close. This herniation claims against doctors of chiropractic is all too common, and they should be defensible. But in many cases, we find that the doctors are not adhering to basic risk management and patient experience practices. And we can do better in that area. Yeah, absolutely, Chick. So if you take anything away from this episode, I want you to remember to do your own exam and history of the patient. Make sure you're doing a lot of great communication and education with that patient along the way. Read images if they're given to you from your patient and take your own imaging if it makes sense. But then, of course, refer out. Dr. Demetrius did mention everybody wants to be considered as an expert and knowledgeable. It may be an opportunity to establish relationships with others that help you bolster your knowledge and skills in some of the areas that we talked about. I think for me, the big takeaway of this episode and this discussion is risk management basics rule. Don't forget your basics. Get as much information as you possibly can about the patient. And that's not just on the first visit, but keep that up throughout their patient care. Educate your patient, like you said, Melissa, and always very important, document it all. Absolutely, Mike. That was another key one. Documentation, documentation. And sometimes urgency creates a lot of bad habits. I know our doctors have extremely successful and busy practices, and they're going from patient to patient. It's easy to get hurried and not do some of the fundamentals. So how do you deliberately pause to make sure that you're hitting those foundational elements of patient care? If you're interested in learning more about the subject and the research that Dr. Demetrius referenced today, please check out our show notes at ncmic.com chiropractical. Thank you for joining us again and take care and be well. Be well.